Electronic Specifier. Hello and welcome back to Electronic Specifier Insights. As technology and embedded systems become more advanced and a lot more common in businesses, you always run the risk of hacking and security breaches. Not all hackers are criminals though. In fact, ethical hacking has become increasingly popular as businesses try to identify their vulnerabilities and protect themselves before the worst. Being introduced to and getting to know your tester in ethical hacking is often overlooked as part of the process. Yes, the work can be uber technical, but faceless relationships don't do anybody any good. Pen test partners work with you directly so that you can give them a call, ask questions, bounce ideas, and not just over the duration of your test. They are there for you beyond that. They are dedicated security partner before, during, and months after the test. So today I am joined by Ken Monroe, a security entrepreneur and industry maverick that has worked in the industry for over 15 years and is a consultant and partner at Pentest Partners. Ken, welcome today to the podcast. How are you? Thank you for joining me. Very good. Nice to nice to see you too. Thanks so much for the invite. No, thank you very much. You're here to share your wealth of knowledge on cybersecurity and everything security in the industry. So I guess to start with, before we delve into the deeps, tell me a little bit more about yourself and your background and maybe a little bit more about Pentest Partners and what you guys do. Yeah, sure. So the clue's in the name, really. We are Pentest Partners. Unsurprisingly, we're a team of uh, ethical hackers. So we're brought in by organizations to, at their request, hack them, find vulnerabilities, get them fixed so the bad guys can't exploit them. But our area of real interest is in embedded systems. So smart devices, IoT, cars and the like. So we keep finding vulnerabilities in these systems. And despite lobbying for change and seeing some laws be introduced, which is great, still seeing the same mistakes made time after time after time by smart product vendors. I think it's so interesting, obviously, that you're like an ethical hacker. So like people will obviously kind of bring you in to hack them. Now that's, I think that's the coolest thing ever. How important is security in today's world before we delve into maybe the, the specific sectors within the areas that you work in? How important is it that people kind of up their security, especially with the amount of like technology and embedded systems that we have? I guess the difficult thing is helping people understand the value of what they have. So often we see in social media platforms where they're free. Of course, if something's free, then that makes you and your data the product, doesn't it? So when we move into IoT, where we're paying for the product in many cases, I think the problem is that we don't really understand the value of our privacy and our own data. So helping people take those steps to really lock themselves down and make sure they can't be trivially compromised is, is, is a big thing for us. And having worked in the industry for over 15 years, I think I read, correct me if, if I'm wrong, but what changes have you seen in this security sector over the last few years? I guess as maybe technology increases and we see more and more technology embedded systems, IoT has become huge over the past five, 10 years. What massive changes and progression have you seen? I think the game changer for me was when we start to see you know, the IoT or smart product market start to open up and the most important thing for every manufacturer is to get to market first and they probably come from backgrounds maybe in, in mobile apps or web apps where you launched your product and you could fix it the next day so it didn't really matter if it had bugs because you could you could roll out an update the problem with embedded systems is you're going to commit to production maybe a year ahead so you can't just have that same mentality of shipping it out and fixing it later it doesn't work like that unless you've set your product up so it can be updated so that's what we kept seeing was products being rushed to market without enough security and no ability to fix the problems once they're in the field. Amazing. So 
automotive you you touched on that smart cars is one of the areas that you guys kind of specialize in or work closely in how important is security in the automotive sector is is there is that a crucial thing that as cars are becoming obviously more smart and connected that people need to then up their security tell yeah tell me about the overview of the automotive yeah so it's I think it was probably brought to the fore by Charlie Miller and Chris Valasek. You might remember this nearly six years ago did the Jeep hack. Now that had been fundamentally achieved in a similar way before, but Charlie Miller and Chris Valasek did a great job of making their story accessible for the world's media. And all of a sudden, everybody in the industry woke up and thought, you know, actually, if my car's driving and then all of a sudden the brakes don't work or the steering turns right all of a sudden, that that's actually critical. You know, that's going to affect my, my life. You know, if I have a crash, that's pretty bad. But what we start to see more recently is not taking over the car, but actually just bricking it, stopping it working. So all of a sudden, a fleet of a certain brand of vehicles just don't start one day. And that lack of availability is hugely impactful, both for the owner and also for the manufacturer. Their reputation is mud overnight. So it's so, so important to get that bit right. And it's not just about the function of the vehicle. It's also about the privacy of your data. You'd be pretty upset if you discovered that anyone on the internet could track where you were any time in your car, right? Or listen to you in your car. That's it's quite quite upsetting, isn't it? Yeah. And is this a, a, a an area of worry just for smart cars, or is this kind of like for all modern day cars now? Can 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 hackers get into pretty much any car, or what sort of technology does your car have to have for it to be vulnerable? So, so once you're physically connected to the car, then yes, there are there are lots of challenges there because it's not that difficult in some brands to inject data onto the, the network, the CAN bus on the car. But that's not really what's important to me because if someone's going after one car, it kind of so what? It's remote attacks that bother me. So it's maybe using mobile apps or APIs that get access to all the cars. And that was a subject of some research we did a couple of years ago into aftermarket car alarms that were also smart. And we discovered we could remotely immobilize about 3 million vehicles with nothing more than access to an API. That's incredible. And is the work that you guys do, um, this work, was that is that just in the UK or do you work kind of worldwide? Is this a problem for cars outside the UK as well as inside the UK? So we work across the world. Uh, unsurprisingly, we do work for some organizations in Detroit, um, but we also do a lot of work across the EU and in the UK too. And it frankly doesn't really matter. There's very few brands that are country specific. so. If a manufacturer's got a product in the market and they've got a mobile app for it, then it's going to be interesting to a hacker. Yeah, definitely. And so back to the the automotive industry specifically, tell me about some of the recent security issues we found in smart car chargers and the problems there and, and how you've been working with that. That's actually really interesting. So I'm a massive EV fan. I have two. I love them. Um, very early adopter. But one of the problems is as more smart required of the chargers and the reason they're becoming smart is because the idea of a car battery is to help balance the grid because solar panel wind power and renewables they tend to come at the wrong times of day for, for consumption so to have a smart car charger allows our grid to effectively balance power supply and generation by using our car batteries which is a great idea problem is Someone made the charges smart, but not everyone checked to make the smart charges were secure. And that's what uh, my colleague Vangelis exploited, discovered there were multiple problems with the APIs that they use and could remotely hijack multiple brands and multiple millions of chargers. And you know, so what? So your car doesn't charge one day. I mean, it spoil your day, but really, so what? The challenge is, is because car chargers consume a lot of power and our grids don't have huge reserve capacity, 
if you could turn all the charges on and off and on and off, you actually create big power swings. And that's enough in some cases to cause blackouts. So by asking for smart chargers to help balance the grid, actually we've created a weapon that others could use to destabilize our power grid. Yeah. And how common was this? Uh, was this found in a lot of these smart car chargers? Like how big a problem are we talking in terms of scale-wise? Yeah, so we looked at seven different brands and we found vulnerabilities in five of them. Now, we didn't have time or permission to go all the way into these. You know, we can't just go and hack stuff randomly. We can only do a certain amount. But even of those seven we looked at, five of them had some critical security flaws. Wow. And so, you know, if there, there's problems and vulnerabilities in smart car uh, electric vehicle chargers, is there then also going to be even more vulnerabilities in electric vehicles than maybe your hybrid vehicles or your non-electric vehicles? I know you said you were an EV Fan. I, I personally am as well. I don't have an EV yet, um, but I think I think they are, you know, increasingly becoming popular and I, I'm struggling to see the flaws, the flaws that outweigh the positives. But yeah, talk, talk me through your thoughts, Chris. So my, my first EV was actually a hybrid. It was a Mitsubishi Outlander a good few years ago now. And Mitsubishi had come up with a mobile app so you could control your charging on the car remotely. Great idea. And you could charge overnight when it was cheaper, that sort of thing. But the problem is they typically rushed the product to market a bit without enough thought about the security. And the way the mobile app connected to the car had a series of vulnerabilities, which meant you could deactivate the car alarm, which is kind of not ideal, right? Uh, you could also do things like uh, trigger the heating on a, on, a, on a hot day so you could bake the occupant. That was, that was fun. Now, Mitsubishi responded. Uh, they fixed it. Uh, the latest version of the car is much more secure. But that's the problem is we're rushing into new technologies and not giving quite enough thought to the cybersecurity. And that's where things go wrong. Yeah. So with the electric vehicles and smart chargers, is there also a, a risk of when you are going out and about and you're charging your car in public chargers? How do you know how safe they are? And is, is there um, kind of resp responsibility? Is it the government or who, whose responsibility is it that these then public chargers are then safe from protecting your car from hackers or security issues? Yeah, so the public chargers themselves, and there are some really powerful ones now. I've, I've heard of one that goes up to uh, 400 kilowatts, which is great. I've charged my car in about 10 minutes, so win. But some of the charge point networks haven't quite got the security right. And a bit like you can roam in foreign countries with your mobile phone, you can also roam using your charge app and charge cards in some cases. And when we discovered that interoperability led to problems, so a vulnerability in one charging platform could lead to a vulnerability in lots of different brands of chargers. Again, that was fixed quickly when we reported it, but it just worries me that some of the charging protocols that allow you to roam between chargers aren't as secure as they should be. And we spoke quite a bit on the chargers producing vulnerabilities. Is there other aspects of the automotive industry that needs to be closely looked at in terms of security and maybe upping its security? Yeah, so one area I love, so I, uh, I quite like Tesla. I don't have one, but I quite like the way that they update their software over the air. That's a really cool way of doing things. They've had some run-ins with US automotive legislators recently around there. But the idea of being able to improve things on the fly, I think it's kind of cool. Uh, we looked at the way that Tesla did their updates and they were, they were pretty robust, but not perfect. And other manufacturers have had similar challenges about the way they push updates to cars. They, everyone wants to update on the fly. But of course, if you break something, you don't just break one car like you might do in the service center in the garage, you break the whole fleet. And that can be really awkward. So quality of software and lots and lots of testing is really important. And kind of moving on to maybe other industries then. So obviously, we've touched on automotive quite a lot. Are there other industries 
that need a lot more cybersecurity than others? What are some of the biggest industries that you guys personally work across? So I think you have to remember that criminals will follow the money. Hacking is money motivated by and large, not exclusively, but mostly. So if you think about where hackers are looking, then you can start to understand where they're going to focus their attention. And of course, everyone started with banking and finance because that's where the money was. But lo and behold, banking and finance spent a lot more on their cybersecurity. So it's a great deal harder to attack those industries. So we're starting to see attacks moving away from perhaps those core areas. And a good example uh, we've been looking at over the last couple of years is that of shipping. Now, filling up your ship with fuel isn't a matter of driving down to the local petrol station and putting 100 quid's worth or whatever it's going to cost you. Bunkering or filling a ship with fuel costs millions of dollars. And those transactions are uh, huge amounts of money changing hands. And guess what? Hackers realized a lot of money moving around. There's an opportunity for invoice fraud. So I can hack a shipping line and get them to redirect where the payment goes to. So now I've made loads of money. We've also seen uh, container fraud on shipping whereby high-value containers are rerouted. There was a, a series of thefts at the port of Antwerp, I think it was 2012, where something like 40-odd containers of metal cobalt, so incredibly expensive, something like a million dollars a container, were uh, rerouted. And if you dig into the legal case around it, it looks like there was a hack involved and criminals understood those protocols and made the container go somewhere else. And for people that may not be kind of as familiar with the, the hacking industry and you know what you guys do how easy is it to kind of trace these hackers like how often do they get caught how often yeah like what are the consequences and how big is the hacking industry you've got to think of it as a commercial operation it, it's a business there are groups out there that have monetized hacking they'll have HR and personnel people recruiting for them and managing their teams. They'll have networks of people out there finding vulnerabilities, selling them on, reselling them, turning it into a service. Think of it as, as a business, and then you'll start to understand how hacking is now working. It's gone from being a bunch of cheesed off people or bored kids in rooms to a highly professional industry. Yeah, it's and obviously we've we've heard you you said it's a criminal you know a criminal run kind of industry business. Um, so yeah, I guess people take it very seriously, and like you say, it's, it's how they're making their money. It's their business. Are there kind of key mistakes that you see? Not maybe that's not industry specific, but you know, really silly mistakes um, and obvious errors that people are making that making themselves really vulnerable to these hackers. Yeah, I know it's going to sound very boring, but usually come down to passwords. So reused default or simple passwords so where people use the same password for lots of different things both in your personal life and on business networks very commonly find reused or overly simple passwords so once someone's in it's very easy for them to propagate around the network and find the good stuff the other big thing that keeps us going is organizations not updating their systems not applying operating system and software patches so that's known vulnerabilities so we know about them hackers know about them so they know how to exploit them but the organization hasn't yet patched for it so if you resolve the password and patching issue it's going to make it a heck of a lot different they have a lot more difficult for organizations to be compromised won't say it'll stop, but it'll make it much harder. Yeah. And, you know, is ethical hacking and the, the sort of thing that you guys do at Pentest Partners, is that becoming ever more increasingly popular and more and more businesses kind of clicking onto this and saying, if you guys help me, then it will obviously stop the actual criminal hackers? So fortunately, a lot of industries have regulated because they've realized that it's it's not enough to simply listen to an organization that says, yes, they take security seriously. In this many cases, regulators actually want evidence that they take security seriously. And that's often done as a form of an audit or an ethical hack or pen test. 
that said, there are a lot of organizations and industries that haven't regulated, but it's still very, very worthwhile because the idea fundamentally is you design out security vulnerabilities before they come and bite you on the backside. Cybersecurity is no longer a buzzword, is it? It's, like you say, it's become kind of a necessity. It's become something that businesses need and it's more regulated now. What sort of kind of like trends have you seen over the past few years? And what kind of do you expect to see in the future? Do you expect to see it, it you know, it explode even more? Every year you think something new can't happen. But what, what I love about this space is that you wake up every morning and the world's changed slightly. There's a new vulnerability which changes everything. There's a new vulnerability in Apple or Microsoft or some crazy bit of software. There's a new hack that's been done. There's just something no one else has thought of. I just love that. It, everything moves so much more quickly now. So if a vulnerability was found 20 years ago, it would take time to be exploited and uh, it would take time for worms to be written to go and cause damage. Now you're seeing a vulnerability be discovered and it's being exploited in large organizations before you can t even look into it in any more detail. Yeah. And how, how did COVID affect kind of the cybersecurity landscape and, and the work that you guys are doing? I guess more people were becoming online. So were you seeing even more criminal activity and did it kind of, yeah, were you guys even busier than normal or did that affect you? Change is the biggest problem in cybersecurity. When something changes, it creates opportunities to make mistakes, not follow processes properly or go back and double check you did something right. And of course, there was a huge amount of change around the coronavirus lockdowns. So people were working from home all of a sudden that had never worked from home before. Organizations were having to support that and make changes. Uh, they were having to provide remote working. And there were a huge number of cases where organizations had done everything they could to rightly get people working remote, but hadn't been back over their work to check they hadn't accidentally exposed vulnerable systems. Lo and behold, they had. Organizations got compromised. We get calls to go and help them clean up. So yes, we were very busy. But again, it's this concept of change. Something changes fast. There isn't time to go back and make sure you've made that change safely and securely. Problems come. And you say that we get calls to help businesses come clean up. I'm guessing you can help people once they have been hacked. But do you prefer the, the work and working with businesses that you're helping them before the preventative, so before they have been hacked? I much prefer working with an organization to help them get ready. Because it's going to happen at some point, to some degree, there's going to be a breach of some description. Far better to have what you call your playbook ready so that everyone knows what to do. And yes, we know that a plan doesn't survive the first, the first engagement, right? It doesn't survive the first battle of the war, but it gets you to that point. So often we see organizations have no preparation in place, running around like headless chickens trying to contain a breach, but actually make it worse. So please get ready, plan so everyone knows what to do. So they've got a book, they've got a playbook, they know what to do in what order, who to call, how to call them, what to do if they can't get hold of them. That's the way to be prepared. Definitely. Well, I guess I guess that's a perfect note to end on. Thank you. Uh, thank you so much, Ken. I'll, uh, I'll look forward to uh, hearing more about uh, the work you guys are doing as EVs become ever more increasingly popular.